Bring a little optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine. Hosted by me, Danielle Robay, And me, Simone Boyce. Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. I am so excited about this podcast, The Bright Side. You guys are giving people a chance to shine a light on their lives, shine a light on a little advice that they want to share. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side. My name is Ariel. I moved to the U.S. at 19. I spoke no English and I struggled finding job opportunities. Everything I have, I owe to the Adult Literacy Center and getting my high school diploma at age 22. It was an honor helping you achieve your greatness. Now you're helping others achieve theirs. It inspires me. When you graduate, they graduate. Find free and supportive adult education centers near you at finishyourdiploma.org. Brought to you by Dollar General Literacy Foundation and the Ad Council. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. Matt Damon grew up in Boston and began acting in his high school theater. He made his big screen debut with one line in the film Mystic Pizza and has added more lines to his table reads today. Matt has won an Academy Award for the screenplay Goodwill Hunting and has starred in hit films like Saving Private Ryan and the Oceans Trilogy. On this episode of the Carlos Watson Show podcast, Matt Damon reflects on his new film Stillwater, why spending time with the Oklahoma Roughnecks opened his eyes to opposing political views, and his thoughts on his best friend Ben Affleck's romance with Jennifer Lopez. Hey, Matt. Hey, Carlos. How are you? Sorry, you caught me yawning. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. So how much are you are you worn out now? Are they just doing you back to back day in and day out or, or what's happening? Yeah, but I was just telling Carice, these are the these are the longer form interviews. So they're much like easier. Like I, I enjoy them, you know, because they're more substantive. And the ones the days that are really tough are when you do those four minute interviews. So I did that last week, which was like 64 minute interviews, which is just like, <laughs> oh, man, you don't even understand English by the end of the day. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. So, so now who is who's the best? Who's the best interviewer? Who do you really either you enjoy or you get something out of who, who's really good? Well, these, all these long form ones are good. Right. Because I, I don't know where they're going to go. They're all different. They, you know, and they. uh um, it, it just, it, the discussions are just a little more interesting. Like the, those, the short ones, like there's nobody who sticks out as a great four minute interviewer because <laughs> it's like saying, who's the best actor on that sitcom? You know what I mean? You can't really right. tell. Yeah. 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 It, it's, but what an interesting world that you do. I saw you with Dan Patrick and I enjoyed you guys together. That was kind of a good dynamic. It seemed like you guys were closer uh, even though he said he hadn't had you for five years. Yeah, I was surprised, actually. I'm, I'm, I'm the, the, as I get older, you know, I'm 50 now. And as I get older, I'm just sh- shocked at time. And you know what I mean? It's like, he said that to me today. I haven't, we haven't done this in five years. And I was just astonished. I mean, I just, I, but that's, I guess that's part of, you know, getting older is suddenly you lose five or 10 years and, and uh, you know, you blink and, and it's another decade. Do you, uh, do you feel older at all? Do you, uh, it's wild when you say 50, I know. 
I, I, you know, I appreciate that. I hit that too. I won't admit it, but I hit that too. You don't look but, it but though. Do you, <laughs> you don't look it at all. <laughs> you you got to say that. But do you, but do you feel any type of way having turned fifty or not yet? Are you are you in a different place? No, it's 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 more it's more my before this fifty. The concept of fifty to me was most familiar to me for some reason when my dad turned fifty. I, we had a big birthday party for him, and and I remember thinking, wow, he's really old, and. Uh, <laughs> And which is in such contrast to how I feel and how I'm sure you feel like I don't feel I don't feel old at all. I, you know, I feel like, you know, I feel great. So um, so it's it's interesting. But now but I know people must look at me and go, oh, wow, he's getting up there. You know, well, you know, two people I feel like have done something to the culture in terms of age. I feel like your friend Clooney, in an interesting way, has kind of stretched that sense of how long you're vibrant and I also think in an interesting way, Oprah may have done that, too, that, you know, she's almost 70. You'd never know it. I can't even with her because it's like what, you know, I don't understand how that happens. I mean, she looks fantastic. She looks so good. And she's not aging. Yeah, I mean, George, George isn't. I mean, George takes such good care of himself, too, that he's just aging beautifully. Right. I mean, uh, you know, but these weird people are pretty good looking to begin with. So, you know, <laughs> I'm just going to age, man. <laughs> You know what? You never know. I look at your boy, Tom, and he is, what is he, 44? Now, how old is he now? Yeah, he will be, he will be in a few days. Uh, yeah, but his regimen is pretty significant. I mean, he really takes great care of himself. I mean, his, everything depends on it. And he, there's no question that he's, he's squeezed, you know, years more out of his body by, uh, by, how, by, by just how diligent he's been you know, with his diet, with his, with his workout regime, with what Alex has him do, like he, he, you know, that is, he's really an outlier because specifically because of how, how he takes care of himself. How early did you guys become friendly? Oh, early on. I mean, I, I think I met him. He, uh, he and lawyer Malloy had, had little walk on parts and stuck on you in 2000. Lawyer Malloy. Yeah. Who has heard that name in a while? Yeah, That's a yeah. good one to pull out. Yeah, yeah they nice. were. So I remember those guys coming down. Troy Brown was down there. He, Troy had a, nice. a, a walk on role. So the Farrelly brothers are, you know, Massachusetts guys. And so they're always right, kind right, of right. sports figures hanging around the, those guys. And, uh, and so uh, those guys had little walk-on roles and stuck on you. So I met Tom in, two, that would have been 2003. Actually, the same time I met my wife. I've been with my wife now for 18 years. And, uh, and that, was, that was, I met her on that movie. Not bad. In Miami, my hometown. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah. That's that, where, where I ended up living, where I ended up moving for, for five or six years. And so what's that story? I love, uh, I love, I call them when Harry met Sally stories. What's the when Harry met, what's, what's the... Uh, I don't want to mispronounce your wife's name. Do you pronounce it Lucia or how do you pronounce it? It's, it's just Lucy. Like Lu, Lu, Luciana is her name, but, uh, but she goes by Lucy. Lucy. So what, what's the when Lucy uh, met Matt story? Well, I went, I was out. It was a Saturday night and I was out with uh, just a bunch of people on the crew. And they, they decided to go to this, to this bar. And, uh, and I, I was just tagging along and, uh, and I came in and, and I literally, it sounds corny, but I saw her across a crowded room and like there was, you know, like a beam of light on her. I remember she was smiling and laughing and I just, uh, you know, she is, you know, subsequently told me like, yeah, there was a spotlight dummy. Like, <laughs> that was the bartender. <laughs> like, yeah, there's a beam of light. You're an idiot. Um, but I remember it in a much more romantic way, I think. 
And and where is she from originally? Where's home? Is she a Miamian or is she from elsewhere? She was born in Argentina. And so she moved when she was nine months old. Uh, uh, they they kind of fled. There was a military government down there and, and people were starting to disappear. And friends of her mom's were starting to disappear. Uh, and so they fled to uh, America. Interesting. And she was a Miamian or, or she fled elsewhere? She They lived in Miami for a long time and then they moved to California. She was out in Camarillo for a while. And then uh, and she so she did high school out in Camarillo. So she's Southern California, South, South Florida. Yeah, not yeah. bad, not bad, not bad. So so, Matt, how did you end up doing Stillwater? Was that your idea? Did did McCarthy pull you into it? Was an agent did it? How did you uh, how did you come across it? Tom sent me the script and uh, I just thought it was great. And uh, unlike anything I'd ever done, and I'd been, I'd really been wanting to work with him. We had a couple near misses and, uh, and he's just a great filmmaker. And I always love the, the, the acting in his movies is always great. Um, so he really, he was someone I had, had my eye on for a while. And, and then the script showed up and I just thought it was excellent. So it was a super easy decision for me. Um, you know, it kind of ticked every box for me. What did you learn uh, prepping for it? I heard that you went down to Oklahoma. You spent a bunch of time with folks down there. Did you learn anything new? Did it confirm what you thought you already knew? What What, what happened for you going down there? Yeah, I learned tons. I mean, I, I, what, what I didn't know was, you know, I read the script and I really, I love the dynamics between the father and the daughter, between this character I was playing and all these other characters that come into the story. I just really believed it all. But I didn't understand the subculture of roughnecks and what that was. And so that was really eye opening to go down to Oklahoma and hang out with these guys. Roughnecks work on the oil rigs and um, and understand their perspective and, you know, try to understand what this character does and why he does everything he does. And, and it's a really particular subculture. And it's so different from, you know, where I grew up in Cambridge, Massachusetts. It's like couldn't be more different. Um, but but, you know, really, but really fascinating and really specific. And so all of the detail and the physicality of the performance and all of that stuff came from hanging with those guys down there. And and, and I mean, if I were to have a takeaway, Carlos, it would be that I, I always leave those like like I'm very lucky to be able to do this this thing, which is to kind of parachute into somebody else's life and and observe them and, and, and they welcome me in cause I'm an actor and I just wish more people could do it. Cause I always leave feeling that we're so much closer and what binds us is so much greater than what divides us. And, uh, you know, I always leave those trips angry at politicians for kind of stoking those divides. And, and, uh, you know, I was talking with Tom about it last night. We were just talking about the, what we should be celebrating, like the way these guys live in rural Oklahoma is so different than the way I live here in New York City. Like, why is that a bad thing? Like, that should be an amazing thing, a beautiful thing that our country has that level of diversity of the way we all live and organize our lives and the communities that we bring together. Like, that's awesome. Like, you know, that, that shouldn't be a, a, you know, something we're arguing about or we're divided over. That should be something that, that, that is, is, is celebrated because it's a, it's a beautiful, it's a massive big country with all these different ways of life and ways to live. And, and we should be celebrating all of it. Hey, say more about that. Cause I don't know that I ever had a chance to spend time in a place like Stillwater and, and get immersed uh, in something like that roughneck area. W- what is it like? What would we see? What might someone who grew up in Miami and you got to make assumptions about me for a moment or a guy who grew up in Cambridge. Yeah. Like, 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 what did you see? What was it like? All right. So, so like going, going home to, to Kenny Baker was the name of the guy that was really our first point of contact there. And, uh, 
he and this other guy, Ryan Stewart, really took us all around to their rigs and, you know, and, 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 and we're explaining how to do the job, like showing us all that. And, but then uh, we went to Kenny's house and like, so to, so to, to try to set the scene for you, he's, he's on 60 acres in, in rural Oklahoma, Marlow, Oklahoma. And he just had a, had a barbecue and a bunch of the other roughnecks came over and their families and their, and, and we just sat around in the backyard and, and, and ate and, and, and drank beer and ate barbecue. And it was like, and, and laughed, laughed about our political differences, laughed, about, you know what I mean? Just had the best day. Then a guitar came out and, uh, you know, his daughter started singing with, with another friend of theirs. They started singing church songs. And, you know, and we were just like, this is beautiful. Then, then the boys were like, you know, Hey dad, can I, can I get the shotguns? And they're like, yeah, they, they, they come out like with the shotguns, like broken down over their arm, exactly how you're supposed to like teach firearm safety. Like they, what they wanted, they knew exactly what they were doing. And then they, we went around and started skeet shooting competitions because they all wanted to challenge Jason Bourne to a skeet shooting contest. <laughs> right. Of course. I'm not going to say, I'm right. not going to say who won, but those kids could shoot. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I didn't get, the, I didn't get the gold medal. I made the podium, but okay. I didn't, I didn't. Okay. Get the gold medal. And, uh, you know, it was just, I was like, wow, man, this is such a different life than, you know, you couldn't do any of this in New York City, right? You, you pull out a shotgun in New York City, you're under arrest, right? It's like, you know, there's people everywhere. You can't fire one of those things. You're going to hit somebody. So, but like out in rural Oklahoma, like this makes total sense. And they were a beautiful family and they were a beautiful community of friends and and it was just all positive. And you go like, all right, well, this is my way into this character, right? These the values they have, the love they have for each other and for their families. And this is this is this is exactly what I feel. I just organize my life in an entirely different way because of my experience and where I'm from. So I, I always leave. It's like I, I always leave those things feeling like, yeah, the things that really matter, really matter to all of us. You know what I mean? And that is so much greater than 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 these, th- you know, the, the political differences we had. We literally would we, we would laugh them off. Right. We poke fun at each other, you know, like I'm the Hollywood liberal. Right. And so it's like. Oh, so, so, so so what so, so get into that. What I mean, what did they like? How deep did you guys go into the political difference stuff? Well, I mean, the guy from Cambridge. Yeah. Massachusetts may be the most. Democratic leaning state. It's got to be one of the top three or four. It's got to be. Oklahoma's yeah. got to be one of the top five, you know, red states, right? Yeah, yeah. And I'm from the People's Republic of Cambridge within <laughs> Massachusetts, right? So, exactly. So right. yeah, no. And and but but what was interesting to me was was to try to understand. I'm playing one of these guys. I have to understand their thought process. And so it, to me, it boils down to, all right, yeah, they're in, they're in one of the reddest states, as you point out, maybe top five. I, I, they were up there last, I mean, I can't remember the last two elections. They were, they were, I mean, as red as you get. And, and they're working in the oil business, in the, in the oil fields in particular, right? In Oklahoma. So they're going to vote red down the ticket, no matter what. Like, that's not even a, there's no news there, right? Like, it's not even, it's just, and for them, it's like, it's like a binary proposition. The way they look at it, this is what I do for my family. This is my job that protects my family, that provides for my family. Like, I'm going to vote that way. That's it. And it doesn't have to be any more complicated like that. I mean, you get, you know, every level of, you know, Republican, right, in that, I'm sure, in that, but, but for the guys that I talked to, it wasn't any more complicated than that. Like, this is, you know... And, and, and they talked openly about, like, you know, feeling like 
we're powering the country. Like if y'all don't, you know, it like they don't like people looking down their nose at them. And then you go like, I was with Kenny the other night here in New York City because he came up for the premiere with his family. And I had him over and we were looking out over the city. And, and he said, you know, these lights are on. You know what I mean? Right. Like, right. you know, you want to look down your nose at a roughneck, man. You know, you're using the power. Right. And so it's like it's a really interesting, you know, it's, and, but that's there. That's his that's his view. And like he and, 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 he, and you know, and, and he sees the hypocrisy in that. Right. So. Uh, so anyway, I, I really I, I, I left there really like having made some some great friends. And, 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 and going back to what I was saying, that's one of the reasons I feel so lucky to to do this job. Like, like, how else would I have been able to do that? Like the only other way would to, to do what you do to be a journalist and go down and do a story and you guys can embed and, 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 and do that. But that's, I think those are the only two professions I can think of where, where, where we would be given that kind of access. Like how else would I get to walk next to a guy who did that and, 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 and parachute into his life in, in rural Oklahoma. But I'm just, I'm really fortunate that I, that I did. That's really interesting when you say that, because I also, I had another guy, Joel Kinnaman. I don't know if you know Joel, the actor sure. who, who's telling yeah. me that part of what he I was loved, just with him last week. Oh, yeah. I, I really, I really like him. He's a big talent. I like him. Great. He's a yeah. great actor. Yeah. 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 He, he told me, he said, Carlos, part of what I like about acting is it allows me actually to unleash some emotions or explore some emotions I probably wouldn't on my own. And yeah. Whether that's grief, whether that's fear, whether that's excitement, whether that's surprise, he said. He said, not only do I get to peek into people's lives, but I thought that was interesting. Is that true for you too? Is is the emotional part there, or is it more maybe just for someone like him? No, no, that's true. And I mean, the, the char- this character behaves in ways that I that I wouldn't. You know, there's a scene in this movie that I love where where this lawyer's this French lawyer is kind of giving me the runaround, and. And he starts to write out this list of private detectives. And I'm telling him, I don't want the list. Don't give me a list. And then I take it and I, and I, and I literally throw it. It's, and it's this little flash of violence. And I swear at him, you know, I said, you know, I, you know, I don't want, I don't need your bleeping list. And the whole scene changes. Like suddenly this guy who was kind of pompous and aloof and like, suddenly he's like, oh, I might get my whooped right now by this roughneck right and it's like and I love that but that's very you know that's not something I would do in my normal life but the but it there is a thrill when you invest that and it's real and the director leaves the camera right on your and you and you are not lying right like then that's the thing that's the rush is when you see it and you're like yeah I believe that the Clint Eastwood had a great line about it uh there's a great there's a scene in Mystic River when Sean Penn finds out, finds his daughter, uh, his daughter, they, they found her daughter's body and he starts to scream, is that my daughter in there? And he's slowly realizing that he's, and, and, the, and the police are holding on to him and he's just screaming, is that my daughter in there? And I asked Clint about it. I said, Clint, you know, you always do just one take. Like how many takes do you do that? He goes, one. <laughs> I'm like, so wow. He, he said, I, I said, you know, so how, how'd you do that? He goes, well, I used real cops. Right. So they know how to restrain somebody. And I went over to the cops. He said, I said, I didn't say anything to Sean. This is Sean Penn. Right. Who's just one of the best actors to ever live. And he just said, I just went over to the cops and said, you better get a hold of this guy because he ain't going to be faking it. And that was the only direction he gave. And so what you see in Mystic River in that scene 
you know, is, is, you know, but that's, that's when an actor brings it. Right. And, and, and that's the, that's the rush for us. So you're, you're exploring things you would never like to Joel's point. Right. We all hope we never have to feel that. Right. You know, but, but, but your job is to, is to bring it real. My name is Ariel. I moved to the U.S. at 19. I spoke no English and I struggled finding job opportunities. Everything I have, I owe to the Adult Literacy Center and getting my high school diploma at age 22. It was an honor helping you achieve your greatness. Now you're helping others achieve theirs. It inspires me. When you graduate, they graduate. Find free and supportive adult education centers near you at finishyourdiploma.org. Brought to you by Dollar General Literacy Foundation and the Ad Council. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. Welcome to Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. This week, I'm talking to acclaimed musician and entrepreneur, Mr. Worldwide himself, Pitbull. A lot of artists in general, people that are very creative, sometimes tend to overthink. That's one of my number one rules. Don't ever overthink. You can think ahead, but don't overthink. And what I mean by that is when they start to write a record, they're like, oh, that's not the line. Oh, that's not this. Oh, it's not that. And everybody has a creative process. I'm not knocking it. For me, I just let it flow. In these exciting times, we're looking to the math, the strategy and analytics, and the magic, the creative spark more than ever. Listen to Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, give me your dream team. Give me your fab five of actors. And this is kind of like the all Madden team. It's, you know, it's all Damon team. I'm allowing you to define it any way you want. But when you said that, there was something interesting about how you were talking about that. And I want to hear from you. Like if you and I were boys and we were just sitting, who's on the all Damon team? Who, who are those actors that for you, they are, they are there? Who, who's there? Uh, living. Or dead. This is your team. Oh, man. Well, that's going to be all right. Well, I mean, Brando's really at the top of that list, at the top of the food chain. He, he really revolutionized everything. Um, but the generation that came behind him, um, you, know, I, you know, De Niro was a huge influence. You know, I, somebody asked me to name my favorite movies, some of my favorite movies the other day. And I just started to say, well, The Godfather and Goodfellas, Godfather 2 and Goodfellas. And uh, I just did, I started naming movies. I realized De Niro was in all of them. <laughs> um, so he was he was up there. Uh, but Gene Hackman was somebody for me that was a huge touchstone. I like I, I just I always found that he uh he was not a showy actor. I loved what he did because it was just completely invested and real. And um, I just think I just I just love uh, Hackman. Um, 
but he's, I think, sometimes got overlooked because he wasn't as flash as uh, some of the others. I agree. I agree. Enemy of the state and um, and the firm oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Were, were among his best. I know people say French Connection and some of these other ones, but Enemy of the State, that moment with uh, Will Smith when he said, what happened? He said, you made a phone call. When you talk about somebody who went all the way there, it felt like he went all the way there. Yeah, and the Enemy of the State, my recollection, it was kind of almost a call back to the conversation, which was one of his masterful performances. Yes, yes. That, that's a beauty. Yeah, that's yeah a beauty. Harry Call, yeah. Yeah. So uh, I'd say Meryl Streep, you know, I mean, on balance, she's one of the best actors to ever live. I mean, she's just, you look at that body of work. It's just, um, that's, it's, this is a hard game, man. I, I, you know, there's so many, uh, there's so many great, great, great actors. And, uh, um, you know, I'm going to leave the last spot open. That way nobody will get mad at me. <laughs> Whenever I see one of them, I was going to say you. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I'm going to take it. I will put myself in there. All right. Now, um, now talk to me about your favorite movies, because I, I've got, I think I narrowed it down to my top three of yours, and it was work, and I say that genuinely, but but what, what's in your top three of your own work? Of my what, own what movies? You, oh, man. Of your own movies, your own. I'd probably not be the best judge of these because, uh, because uh, you know, I'm probably too close to them, but I mean, Goodwill Hunting certainly changed our lives completely, and so I can't really separate that movie from the from the from what it did to our lives, which just completely uh, changed them. Um, so I'd put that one up there. Uh, man, I don't know. Uh, I don't know. What do you think? You tell me. <laughs> the Departed. Oh, <laughs> The Departed. Yeah, yeah. Um, the first three born ones, I was mad at your boy, Jeremy Renner, that you even let him in the house. No disrespect to him. He's a fine actor. I think he did great, man. I love uh, Renner. You, you're being nice. He didn't do what he needed to do in those. Those first three, I think those may be the best action films I've seen. And oh, because thanks. in my mind, there was, you guys made it, Frank and Patente, all you guys, you guys made it so it was still believable. It was unlikely, right, but right. it was believable. Do you know what I mean? And so it felt like we got to go somewhere we normally wouldn't get to go. Yeah, yeah. That's just two great directors, Doug Lyman and Paul Greengrass, who are responsible for for that, for that. And, uh, yeah, I'm really, I, I was lucky to be a part of those things. I, I, I loved, I had a great time making them, you know, just a real significant part of my life. Um, you know, I'm, I'm glad those came my way. Hey, tell me about Goodwill Hunting. Cause we always are talking on this show about how people dream fearlessly, how they break through. And, and I want to understand it not only for myself, but for people who are watching, when you look back, why did that work? And, and what should other people take away from it, if anything? Maybe you say nothing. Maybe you just say that was a magic moment in time. But, 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 but why did it work, and what can other people take away from it? Well, Ben and I always said, um, because there were a lot of different ways that movie could have been set up. There were a lot of different ways we could have gone with the story. And what we always said, and we, were, and we benefited from really, really great executives who, were de who developed that movie, uh, and developed it towards what it became. So we really benefited from just wonderful, smart people, uh, uh, you know, who, who, who had power and, 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 and uh, you know, who, 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 who got the best out of us. And, um, but, but what we always said was, you know, this will show how dated it was. We'd say, even if it's a video cassette on our mantle, right, uh, we need to love it. You and me need to love it. And 
I think the purity of that, of just making the movie for ourselves, just the one we're making the thing that we loved and not trying to imagine what it is. Like I always see people twist themselves into knots in, in this business going like, here's what I think people want to see. Right. It's like, well, don't do that. Just do what you want to see, because at the very least, I mean, it's always hit or miss with movies. Sometimes they catch on and sometimes they don't. At least you'll love it. Right. At least you'll stand by it. And uh, and, and, and I'd seen too many actors kind of go, well, I'm doing this movie because it's a, it, I don't think it, I don't like it, but I think it's what people want to see. And then they spend six months of their life on it. And then the movie comes out and nobody goes and sees it because everybody who made the movie is not really invested in it. And, you know, and, and then you, and then you've just lost six months of your life. So I'd say to, to work on the things that you really have a passion for and love and just try to make the thing that you, that, that, that you love. And, and there's a universality and specificity, right? So if you love it, there's a chance other people will love it too. Hey, what's your sliding doors? If this thing hadn't worked out, I know, I know you were at Harvard. I know you, you, you left early. What do you think would have happened? Do you even know what would have happened if this thing hadn't worked out? No, it could be a myriad things could happen. I, but I, I, I mean, I feel like I, I, always, I always felt like I wanted to do this. And so I would have kept slugging it out. I mean, there's, you know, I, I, I loved writing. So, I mean, I felt like I can, I can write, I can, I can act, I can, you know, there, there's a certainly a more modest life I could carve, carve out for myself, uh, taking smaller roles and, and, uh, you know, I felt like, I felt like, you know, it's very feast or famine, this business, but I did feel like the business was signaling back to me that, uh, like I'd, I'd go, I'd go to an audition and I'd get called back, you know, or I get called back a few times. I might not get the part, but the casting director would say that was a really good audition. And those little ways that the business kind of signals to you, you're, you're in the right line of work. You know, it might not happen for a while, but you're in the right line of work. And so I felt like I didn't really need a plan B. I felt like, I, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to make, I'm going to make a living. I can make a career out of this. I, I don't know what that will look like, but, but I can do what I love to do. My name is Ariel. I moved to the U.S. at 19. I spoke no English and I struggled finding job opportunities. Everything I have, I owe to the Adult Literacy Center and getting my high school diploma at age 22. It was an honor helping you achieve your greatness. Now you're helping others achieve theirs. It inspires me. When you graduate, they graduate. Find free and supportive adult education centers near you at finishyourdiploma.org. Brought to you by Dollar General Literacy Foundation and the Ad Council. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. Welcome to Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. This week, I'm talking to acclaimed musician and entrepreneur, Mr. Worldwide himself, Pitbull. A lot of artists in general, people that are very creative, sometimes tend to overthink. That's one of my number one rules. Don't ever overthink. You can think ahead, but don't overthink. And what I mean by that is when they start to write a record, they're like, oh, that's not the line. Oh, that's not this. Oh, it's not that. And everybody has a creative process. I'm not knocking it. For me, I just let it flow. In these exciting times, we're looking to the math, the strategy and analytics, and the magic, the creative spark more than ever. Listen to Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, talk to me a little bit of a wild swing, but, but go with me for a second. Obviously, the last year, more conversation about race than we as a country, maybe we as a world have had in 50 years. Yeah. Anything interesting in there for you or surprising or different? Or did you find yourself, you know, in a new place as it relates to that, either looking back or looking forward on questions of race? And I realize we could spend, you know, years having this. So I'm not asking for that, but but I literally am curious knowing that we now feel like we're in the midst of a reentry. And so there is a moment to look backwards and yeah. to reflect and, and, and anything in there for you? Um. I guess I, I think about it through the lens of my kids um, and trying to trying to help them understand, like we were out of the country when uh, when George Floyd was killed. And just trying to explain a crazy world to children, you know, and uh, I, I so I, I so as you asked, I think of, I think of it through that lens because I'm trying to think of how I talk to them about it. Like, like we went down to, to, to Brianna Taylor's, you know, there was a, at the, at the downtown in LA, everyone was laying flowers one day. And we, so we went down to a BLM protest, but we went by and we paid respects and laid flowers. Like I wanted them to understand, you know what I mean? It's like, how do I bring them along to understand this, this country? Through in, in the context of race, right? Like, how can I how can I help them? And I try to think about how it was done for me. I mean, I grew up in Cambridge, which was like didn't feel like the real world. It was like, as we said, the People's Republic of Cambridge. It was a melting pot. Like, you know, my 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 school, my Cambridge Ridge and Latin was like, you know, three thousand kids. My class was seven hundred and fifty kids. Like, I remember. Our, gra- you know, our graduation, they said, we have 170 countries represented in our high school. And a couple months later, I got to Harvard and at the convocation speech, they were like, we have 83 countries represented. And I was like, wow, wow. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I was really yeah. lucky to grow up yeah. where I grew up. And, um, you know, and, and it's, it's interesting to see how the, this generation looks at these issues because it's, you know, it's 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 not the way we looked at them, but I'm from a very specific place. And so I just have to, like, do my best to try to listen. And uh, and I and, and also in the context of knowing that I live, I, I am I have like you talk about blind spots, like I'm an American male white movie star like that is like that is a that is rarefied air. You know what I mean? And I am. I got to work to try to understand what life is like for most people. You know what I mean? And, and uh, so, yeah, I mean, I, so I think about it all kind of in, in that, in that context too. Any interesting conversation with the guys down in Stillwater, Oklahoma. And again, I'm not looking for a particular answer. I'm just 
curious, given that you had a chance to kind of spend time, and I assume that that either was there explicitly or implicitly, anything interesting there, matters of race? It didn't come up. It didn't come up, though they alluded to the fact that some of the guys they work with were racist. And we put that in the movie. There's a scene in which I get in a and uh, we're trying to get information from this guy who's overtly racist, but he's having this conversation in French with Camille's character. And my character's sitting there witnessing it, but he doesn't understand what's happening. And she's so offended that she gets up. And I follow her and, and say, like, what, what, what's going on? Right. And she says, well, he's racist. And I'm like, that's it. And she's like, that's it. He's, he's willing to just put any Arab kid in jail. And I'm like, well, maybe he knows something. Right. Maybe we should. We still got to talk to him. And she and she's saying, no, you know, and, 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 and Bill says, I, I work with guys like that all the time. He, you know, he says it's a really interesting line. He goes, she, she's saying I'm not going to talk to him. And he says, well, you must live in some fancy world, honey. Because I work, I work with guys like that all the time. And what he's saying is he's voicing this kind of blue collar argument, argument of like, I can't choose who I work with. I got to take a job when I got to take a job. And she's saying from the kind of cult, the perspective of the cultural elite, I wash my hands of this and I won't talk. And they're both right. And they're both wrong. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like his point of it, you can't not engage, right? How's anything going to change if you don't talk, right? If you just, if I can't even listen to you, then, then where are we going to get, right? But at the same time, you know, you can't, you, you know, what this guy's doing is completely beyond the pale. He's not, you know, he's, he's willing to put an innocent person in jail simply because they're Arab. So, you know, so, but anyway, so those are some of the themes that are kind of charging through, through our movie. And, and those are based on conversations that we had with people uh, down in Oklahoma. Man, that that is. Uh, um, I wish I was there with you on, on both pieces of that. Hey, you mind if I finish up by doing a little rapid fire with you? Hit you with a handful of quick things. Sure, man. Uh, your favorite book of all time? Oh man, uh, favorite book of all time. All right, that's gonna. I mean, it's gonna sound like a cop out, but I gotta probably go Catcher in the Rye. Um, you know. Actually, you know what? I'm, I'm going to amend that. I'm going to tell you my favorite book of all time. Probably I've read it a number of times. I've read The Princess Bride to all of my kids. Um, oh, you know, so I've read it, I think, three times now. And uh, I read the final two got it at the same time uh, before bed. And uh, and the fun that I had overacting and doing all the voices, like there were literally nights where they were asleep and I kept going because I was having so much fun. So, so I'll say that that's kind of an irreverent fun book. I like that. Uh, most valuable or interesting thing you've learned about parenting, especially as the dad of daughters. Humility. Appropriate. Every day. Every day. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's like, I don't know I, if other parents out watching this could relate, but I, but I, I, I did, there are those nights where you just put your head on the pillow and you go, man, I screwed that up. Like I could have done better. And it's like, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a relentless job and it's not, you can't get it right all the time. And, uh, and so humility in general is a good thing to carry with you. Most impressive person you've ever met. And I'm purposefully making impressive to be defined however you want to define it. Nelson Mandela. I, sh- I, I, I met Nelson Mandela twice. And I can't think of a, I can't think of a, of a human being that is more impressive than Nelson Mandela. I mean, I, they're, they're, I've met some wonderful people in the nonprofit world who do incredible work, but what Mandela did, it's funny, there's a, the, the guy, so we made that movie about him and it was based on a book. And the guy who wrote the book's name was John Carlin. And he's a, 
he was the bureau chief for the independent and he was in South Africa at the time of, you know, the ending of apartheid and Mandela coming out of prison. And John knew Mandela personally. And I was having dinner with him about 10 years ago. And I said, what is it like the, the, the conundrum, the central conundrum about, about Mandela was um, how could you, you know, we even have this line, I think in Invictus, where we say, how could you spend 27 years in prison and come out and forgive the people who put you there? Like, how, how does that happen? You forgive your jailer? Like, you know, and that's the central conundrum of this man. Like, is, and I was like, I mean, was he an angel? Like what? And John said, which I thought was really great. He said, no, I believe Nelson Mandela is what we're going to evolve into in 500 years. That's ruthless. That's, that's, I, Isn't that great? I love that. That is a, that is a, that is a big, wonderful thought. Yeah. And it was from a guy who had spent, who had written a book about him and spent a lot of time with him and, you know, and really thought deeply about it. But I couldn't get past the, is he an, is he even human? Like, is he even, is he an angel? Right? Like what, who, who could do that? And that was what John came back at me with. And I just, I never forgot it. Man, that, that is a mic drop moment, but I'm still gonna hit you with two more. That, that's a mic drop moment. That is a really, <laughs> um, Werner Herzog said something similar to me. I said, where will we be? What will be going on if you and I get together in 10 years? And he said, you think too small. He said in 400. And I love that. Wow. And, and what you just wow, said like about, about John Carlin, that's a very nice way to expand your sense of possibility. Um, yeah. Well, and hopefully, hopefully Werner's right too. And you and I can both be that thing and evolve in fi- over 500 years. Right? I, I, I like that. Nice, that nice, yeah. uh, nice synthesis. Uh, bring, all that, uh, bring all that together. All right. I'm going to put you on the hot seat. Greatest athlete of all time. Matt Damon edition. Greatest athlete of all time. Uh, man, that's so brutal. Because, of course, you know, I mean, I know Barkley said Tom. And, uh, but even Tom said he wasn't, right? And, and you think athlete, like, I, I think a sport where you need to move more, right? So it's like, you know, I would, I would probably go with a basketball player, which means that I'm probably leaning more towards Michael or LeBron. Uh, but, you know, what, you know, they say the hardest thing in sports is to hit a round ball with a round bat. So does that make you have to go, you know, Barry Bonds at the height of his hitting prowess? Right. But, you know, he 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 was a DH, I think, for a lot of, you know, he wasn't. He, I don't know. It's kind of an impossible question, but I don't think you can go wrong with uh, with MJ. You know, only a Bostonian would have put baseball even in contention. <laughs> you realize nobody else. Only a Bostonian would have put a baseball player even in the conversation. So kudos to Carlton Fisk and to yeah. Ted Williams and to all those guys that just like draped you guys in the baseball conversation. That's it. That's it. But I have read that 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 uh, hit, hitting a hitting a ball with a bat is uh, considered the toughest thing to do. So I, you know, but you're right. It doesn't feel as much like an athletic endeavor as uh, as say basketball. All right. Last couple. Most beautiful place you've ever been in the world. Probably uh, Kauai, uh, I would say, uh, the, the North Shore of Kauai. Ooh, ooh. And, and an Airbnb guy, hotel guy, what do you do? Airbnb. Airbnb. For, for movies, I'm, I'm, in, uh, I'm in a hotel today for the press, but, uh, but normally, you know, I, I got to crash in a city for a few months, and, and, and normally, a, you know, an apartment's going to be better than a, uh, than a hotel for longer-term living. Um, but on the, on the promotional tours, it's, it's usually hotel, but, uh, but when we're shooting, it's usually an Airbnb. 
Bidifer going to make it or no? Oh man, I'm I'm no one's pulling harder than than I am. I, I uh, they're they're both they're both great. I just want I I just want for their happiness, and they seem pretty happy right now. Hey uh, Matt, thank you so much for uh, taking the time. And uh, as I said, so many folks here on the team. Uh, there was such excitement about you coming uh, today. And so uh, we really thank you on behalf of the whole team uh, here at the show. Thank you. Uh, thank you for joining us. I, I appreciate you having me. I love it. I, I, I love the interview. Thank you. Hey, man, I, I appreciate you. You got you guys have some good news coming in the uh, Celtics and uh, Patriots this year. You got good news coming. I know, man. And, let, and we got to stop this, like these rumors about uh, 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 about uh Oh my God! Why I'm about Tatum? Like, why is his name in Jalen Brown? Why are their names in the paper all the time? Stop it! We got to keep those guys. You, you, you know, they they shouldn't. Tatum's a beautiful player. Watching Devin Booker is going to only make him be better. He yeah. could give you 36, 37 points a game next year. I know, I know. He might. Yeah, yeah. he might. Yeah, so we'll it. see. Who's your team, by the way? My, t- I've got a mixed bag. Uh, I now just like players. I like scrappy players. So I was rooting for Kimba Walker. You know who my guy originally was? Who? Rajon Rondo. Really? I'm a Rajon Rondo. I'm the one guy who's a Rajon Rondo guy. But I loved, you know, how does someone dislocate their arm in the middle of a game and still stay in it the whole time? Fantastic. Yeah, how play. does a guy have like 26 assists and three points? <laughs> 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 you know what? You could be nicer to him. He got you guys the ring. I know. But yeah, that was that. That was not his strong suit. No, but he what was, was amazing. He was, it's like, haven't you figured out this dude is just gonna pass? <laughs> like he's not taking the shot. He knows he you can't don't shoot. He did, have, but he had that one forty-four point game. If you remember, well, that's so the thing, right? You couldn't on sleep on him. So de- that's what Dennis. <laughs> they, they used to try to fall off Dennis Johnson. Yeah. And yeah. I remember yeah. a game in the eighties where DJ was shooting yeah. like push shots. Yeah. He didn't even, he, they weren't even jump shots. It was like he was playing horse because no, it was like, I think we were playing the Pistons and they just backed off him to, to double down. And, 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 uh, and DJ was like, are you going to tell me that I can shoot 15 foot push shots all day? Because right. you're going to lose, right? And, and that's hey, pretty cool. By the way, your friend DJ doesn't get credit. I know they talk about Havlicek stole the ball. And I know you obviously talk about the Carlton Fist stuff. I still think bird stealing was important DJ's underhanded layup. 99 guys out of 100 missed that shot. Look, I mean, it, it was it was reverse and like back up over his head. You know, Correct. That was a crazy shot. 99 guys missed that shot. I know, I know. But you know, Larry Bird, I mean, see, being a Boston geek, I, I read yeah. his book a long time ago and he talked yeah. about that play. And, you know, he mm-hmm. referred to Dennis Johnson as the best basketball player he ever played with. He said DJ wow. was the best player he ever played with. And he talked about that steal and he said, I stole it. And I instantly thought, you know, I can get, I can turn and get a shot off. It's going to be off balance, like 18 foot fall away jump shot. And he said, and I saw a green flash and that green flash was Dennis Johnson. You know, he goes, and that's that guy instantly anticipated his steal and was there in just the right place to barely lay it. I mean, you're in a, in a really tough reverse layup. Like, yeah, he was awesome. You guys, you guys have had too much good luck. You, you, the Bostonians, been weird. you guys have had more than your share. Yeah, definitely. It's been weird. The last, the last two decades are, are weird. Right. Like it's not yeah. the way Boston, like some, it was like our code in the matrix got rewritten. Like what's going on? Like, why are we winning yeah. everything? Like it's, yeah. it's weird. So, but, uh, but these teams will be fun. Like, I think this, I don't think, I think the Celtics are going to be one of those teams that'll be fun because they're going to be in it 
and they're going to be really fun. They're like a fun team to watch and root for. But it looks like there's that other echelon. You know what I mean? Like, well, well, well you know, it's I don't know what happened there because you guys had something beautiful going when you were up three to one on LeBron. And that it's like it robbed their soul because Jalen and Jason, I don't know. They were on they were on their way to some Clay Steph stuff. I know. It seemed like happened. it. It seemed like it. And uh, but we'll see. I mean, we'll see. We'll be in the conversation and we'll be really fun to root for. But, you know, Brooklyn's no joke. I mean, yeah, I mean, you, you know, but you know what, though? I don't I, I, and maybe I'm wrong here. I think Brooklyn missed their window. I, there's really? something uh, Well, your boy Kyrie and uh, he did hit that big shot. But like he may be a guy who only ever had one big shot in him. I hate saying that. Wow. But that may be the case. And he, I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Well, we'll see. It'll be fun. It'll be it's definitely like these guys have figured out that like they, they like that they have all the leverage. You know yeah, what I mean? Right. And they're all yes. like friends and they're like <laughs> calling each other like, dude, where do you right. want to go play? Like yeah, if you right, and me play right. together. Like we can do, you know what I mean? It's like, yeah, and so you yeah. get, you're getting all these super teams just pop up and you're like, whoa, wait, where, you know what I mean? It's, it's, it's cool. It's really cool. So. Hey, hey, Matt, will you tell Liz Fox, who I work with here, that it's okay that we talk sports? Because she's watching you and me right now. She, oh. and she's frustrated. Liz Fox, I work with Liz. Liz, it's she's okay frustrated to talk that we're talking about sports. Come on, the interview's already over. We're just talking about sports. We're just hanging out. It's okay. <laughs> hey, man, have, have a great day. And Thanks. again, thank you for making time for me and for us. We appreciate it. All right, I appreciate it. I'll see you next time, Carlos. Thanks, okay, man. all right, be safe. Right. See you again. Yeah, man. Okay, bye-bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Carlos Watson Show podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review wherever you listen to your podcast. Bring a little optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine, hosted by me, Danielle Robay, and me, Simone Boyce. Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. I am so excited about this podcast, The Bright Side. You guys are giving people a chance to shine a light on their lives, shine a light on a little advice that they want to share. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side. My name is Ariel. I moved to the U.S. at 19. I spoke no English and I struggled finding job opportunities. Everything I have, I owe to the Adult Literacy Center and getting my high school diploma at age 22. It was an honor helping you achieve your greatness. Now you're helping others achieve theirs. It inspires me. When you graduate, they graduate. Find free and supportive adult education centers near you at finishyourdiploma.org. Brought to you by Dollar General Literacy Foundation and the Ad Council. Listen to the highly anticipated 100th episode of Tank and Jay Valentine's R&B Money Podcast with artist Chris Brown. Even working with you from Carrie Hilson, Adonis, mm-hmm. back in the day, I was 15, 14 doing that album. So like I said, I was in school like, yeah. okay, this is how you do it. This is how you make a song. There's a verse, a pre-chorus, and then a hook. I didn't know none of that. You learned I, that over a summer, bro. That's what I, it felt like. That's what it felt like. Listen to R&B Money on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts.